Well, happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Um, my name is Nick Naw. I uh, am a supported worker out of Delray. I work for a college ministry called Campus Outreach. Um, yeah, and I've been at the church for, wow, I think four years now. 2018 is when I got voted in. Um, so it's been a while. Morning. Uh, there's a paper over there for notes, uh, note taking if you need it. Um, welcome to take a seat. So, um, if you've gone to know me, you'll know that I'm a massive fan of Lord of the Rings. And you'll also know how much of an anti-fan I am of The Hobbit, especially The Hobbit movies. They're just so bad. Um, that's my frank opinion. Those movies are awful. They're overly bloated. The CGI looks like Play-Doh. Um, and and the it's just this hyper-aggrandizement of what's supposed to be like a simple children's tale. Um, so it's a big L for Tolkien fans. Um, but one of the worst parts of the movie for me is this shooed in romance between a dwarf and an elf. This, the, uh, this Keely and Tariel, and the romance comes out of nowhere. It's just like, you're just kind of trucking along on this story about a journey and then boom, just this out of nowhere romance. Um, and it's literally out of nowhere because it never existed in the book. Uh, so, and before I rag too much on The Hobbit, this kind of out of nowhere shoot in romance is in so many other movies. You ever, you ever watch like a movie and you're, just, you're you know, it's like an action movie or something and you're just watching and then boom, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> it's like uh, these kinds of romance, like shoot in romance appears all over our movies and and it's also all over our culture. The cultural mantra is that if you're not paired up with someone, or if you don't even like someone, something is wrong with you. Singleness is viewed as a problem. On the other hand, I've also noticed that over the past few years, there's been a counter stream in our culture. Uh, our culture has started to paint singleness as a freedom to be relished, an opportunity to, to treat yourself, live it up, you don't need somebody, right? Uh, the only person I need is me. Um, this has also shown up in our movies, right? So take, for example, Moana or Elsa, right? Two, two recent Disney princesses, and there's, they have no romantic interests. And unfortunately, I think our culture has actually filtered into our churches in America. There are some churches that treat singleness as a problem to be solved. Just single men and women are just half-baked saints who are just waiting to get married. And on the other hand, there are also some churches that fall on the other side of the road, holding an incredibly low view of marriage, uh, so much to the extent that they're violating the command in Hebrews 13, 4, uh, which says, let marriage be held in honor among all. So which is it? it? Singleness, is it a problem or is it a freedom? Well, today, our question is, how does God view singleness? How does God view singleness? This is foundations, a theology of singleness, and, and we're going to try to see where, where do we see singleness in the Bible, and what does God say about it? And by the end of this hour, I hope you'll find that God has quite a different view of singleness, a far more glorious view than we tend to have. So in the Bible, we see the topic of singleness most explicitly in 1 Corinthians, smack dab in the middle of the letter. 
And that's where we'll be camping out today. Uh, so go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you know me, I'm a, I'm a big fan of expositional teaching instead of topical. So I like just staying in one, one passage of scripture. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If I could summarize our time this morning into one main point, it might be this. Singleness is a gift from God purposed for our contentment in and devotion to Christ. Singleness is a gift from God purposed for our contentment in and devotion to Christ. From the text, I'm going to draw out two observations about singleness, then two reasons for singleness. Two observations, two reasons. And my hope as we delve into this text is for all of us, married or single, to see an earth-shattering, glorious view of God's design for singleness. In light of that, we're going to need some help. So would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Father, Father, thank you so much uh, that this Easter morning, that the resurrection of Christ changes everything. Um, we not only die to the ways of the world, but we also get to live in new life, um, in the life Christ has given us. Um, so Father, Lord, we as we look at your word and as we consider um, not just singleness, but consider you. Would you help us to behold wondrous things? And God, would you help us to, to see a, um, such a redeemed uh, view of singleness and marriage and relationships that, uh, that by the end of this hour that we would, we would actually love you more? Um, God, this is, what, <laughs> this is what this is about, God, um, that we might love you more. So help us to do that. Uh, your wisdom, not mine. Your power, not mine. Your words, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, our first observation. Singleness belongs to God. Singleness belongs to God. As we look at our Bibles, you might find that the end of chapter 6 has the subtitle, Flee Sexual Immorality. Now, Nick, what, what does that have to do with singleness? We'll actually find Paul, find Paul talking about singleness in the next chapter, chapter 7. So why are we starting in the chapter before? Although Paul primarily talks about sexual immorality in chapter 6, he does so by laying down some theological groundwork. And Paul continues to use this groundwork to frame his ensuing discussion of marriage and singleness in chapter 7. So quick note here, if you're new to the Bible, uh, when you read, make sure you read it in context. The Bible is not some collection of pithy phrases strung together at random. It holds together fully and contextually. So in this passage about sexual immorality in chapter 6, I want to draw out a theological principle that Paul then uses to launch into a discussion about singleness. So read with me chapter 6, verse 17. Chapter 6, verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 
but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This verse lays the theological groundwork for how Christians should view not only sexual immorality, but also singleness and really every other aspect of their lives. What is the verse saying? The verse is saying that when you're joined to the Lord, when you turn away from your sin, when you put your trust in Jesus, believe that his death paid the penalty for your sin, believe that he rose from the dead and his rising from the dead actually gives you new life. When you believe that, everything about your life changes. Everything, because your life is joined, united to his. Uh, this is what we, in, in theology, we call this the doctrine of union. Uh, we're united to Christ. You're given a new identity, Jesus's identity. You become one, one spirit with Jesus. What that means is that all other distinctions about you, your race, your economics, your relationship status, single or married, all become secondary to your primary identity. And what's your primary identity? Christian, one with Jesus, right? And so what are the implications of that? The implications, uh, if you look down at verse 19, it actually gives us an implication. Verse 19, at the very end, it says, you are not your own. If you're a Christian, your life, your desires, your dreams, and yes, even your relationship status are not your own. God's spirit in giving you new life has caused a seismic shift in your posture towards everything. If you're a Christian, there is no part of your life that God does not own, whether that's your marriage or your singleness. Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe you're wondering why then would you ever become a Christian? And even if you call yourself a Christian, maybe you're thinking uh, you're not ready to give everything Jesus yet. And this is where we've got to read the next verse. The next verse the main thrust of this staggering shift in ownership is in verse 20. You are not your own. Why? For, for you were bought with a price. Jesus died for you. And that's what we're thinking about this whole resurrection weekend, right? Think about that. The Son of God suffered and died for you. The word price here brings to mind the word precious. Here's what First, uh, first Peter 1.19 says. You were ransomed with, with what? The precious blood of Christ. You're not just some cheap commodity that God threw his spare change at. He paid with the ultimate sacrifice, the death of his son, Jesus. That's the price of our sin. That's the price for your life. So why is it worth it? to give ownership of your life to Jesus because he paid for it in blood, because Jesus' blood is worth it. Uh, just an analogy here. Um, I've often thought, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people will come up to me and ask me, like, what does it actually look like to live as a Christian? You ever think about that? Like, if a non-Christian were to come up to you and ask, hey, like, what's the difference, right? Is it just that you go to one day of your week is set apart now, Sundays, right, for this worship thing, and then the rest of your week. Well, uh, an analogy I like to give is imagine that you're at your home and that, uh, and some of you guys will know this, uh, the, the ceiling is burning, the rafters are burning. And as it's about to fall on you, 
uh, let's just say I'm there for some reason in your house and I push you out of the way and I, I take your place, uh, the death that you should that you would have did, you would have gotten, right? So I die for you and what immediately happens after? Well, the, the firefighters come hopefully, um, the news people write articles about it like, wow, hero of the community, you know, like Nick Na, uh, save this person. And then in a month or two, people tend to forget, right? It just, life moves on. But you haven't forgotten. You haven't forgotten. In fact, every important moment of your life, you would probably be thinking, at least in part, about me, right? So let's just take, uh, you're at a job interview. Um, and the person asked, the interview asked her, um, hey, what, what gets you up in the morning? Your response probably might look something like, well, I shouldn't be alive this morning, but someone died for me. Um, or maybe you're getting married, right? And you're looking at your spouse in your face and you're thinking about how beautiful your spouse is and you're also thinking maybe about me, right? I wouldn't be up here to enjoy this gift if it weren't for Nick. And those are just the big things. I mean, it's the small things too. You're washing dishes, you look up and you see, I don't know, like a glorious sunset, right? And you're, well, you gotta wash dishes while the sun's setting, right? And, um, and, and you, you're thinking, I wouldn't be able to see this if Nick hadn't died for me. Now this is all hypothetical, right? This hasn't happened. But what's not hypothetical is Jesus dying for you. Think about how many people in the world can actually say, someone died for me it actually happened someone died for you someone took your place taking the punishment you deserved and if you're listening to this and wouldn't call yourself a christian i i just urge you to consider this the price jesus paid for you um yeah and today can actually be the day of salvation for you you can actually turn away from your sin today and turn to him and if you have given your life to Jesus, do you see how his death, the gospel actually changes your single, like how you view not just your singleness, but everything in your life? It's his. Singleness belongs to God. But it's also a gift from God. And that's our second observation. Your singleness is a gift given by God. Your singleness is a gift given by God. Let's read on in chapter 7, verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the married and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Did you catch that in verse 7? Each has his own gift from God. God owns singleness and singleness is a gift from God. And not only that, look at verse 8. Singleness is a good gift. It is good for them to remain single. Singleness is meant for good. Already, our two observations fly in the face of how culture views singleness. Singleness is in Jesus's possession, meaning that it's not this self-glorifying freedom. 
And singleness is also a good gift, meaning that it's not a problem to get rid of. It's not a problem, but what, no, it's not a problem to get rid of. But what about marriage? The text also shows us that just as singleness is a gift, marriage is also a gift. Verse 7, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Marriage here is a gift given, especially to, the, in, to those um, in this context who cannot exercise self-control, those who burn with sexual passion. Now, maybe you've read a lot of the Bible before, specifically the Old Testament, and at this point, you might be wondering, okay, but from an Old Testament perspective, how could singleness possibly be a gift? You ever, you ever thought of, think about that? Isn't marriage and especially having children celebrated in the Bible? And isn't not finding a spouse or barrenness considered a curse? Um, so you can think about um, Isaac kind of in grief. His mother has died and he's spouseless, right? How is he supposed to carry on the promise of God of I will make you a, uh, a person, I will make you a great nation, right? A sharper question might be this. How can single Christians fulfill the creation ordinance to be fruitful and multiply? So I actually uh, love to hear some of your guys' thoughts on this. Any, any thoughts on this conundrum? How, how can single people, single Christians, fulfill God's command, be fruitful and multiply? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Any other thoughts? Yeah. I think of Isaiah 54, uh, sing barren women to you who never had, to who never bore a child, burst in a song, sing for joy, you were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than have heard of that last Yeah, it's a complete reversal, right? Um, what used to be viewed as a curse, barrenness, is now actually... Uh, there's there's a redemption, right? Um, actually, let's let's stay there in Isaiah uh, fifty, um, Isaiah, around Isaiah. Um, if you wanna, if you guys could turn with me to Isaiah fifty six, Isaiah fifty six. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Garrett just preached about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, in Acts, with the story of Philip and the eunuch, the eunuch is reading Isaiah fifty three on a chariot, and I I would. You know, part of me wonders if they kept reading past Isaiah 53 and they read Isaiah 54, Isaiah 55, and then Isaiah 56. Um, so Isaiah 56, um, can I get someone to read verse 3 through 5? Yeah. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Yeah. Um, I always find that verse so striking. If, if the eunuch actually read that, I wonder what, what his thought would have been sitting there reading about 
a prophecy about Unix. Uh, okay. um, what do we see there, though, potentially about singleness? And um, I'm kind of using uh, Unix as an analog for someone who's single, not married, cannot, can't be married. Yeah, yeah. I will give you a name better than sons and daughters, right? Um, what else do you guys see there? Let's focus on obedience. Yeah. Keep the Sabbath and uh, choose things that please me and hold fast my covenant. Yeah, yeah. So the way actually that the eunuch is ushered into this re redemption is obedience, right? Um, obedience to the promise. So that's Isaiah 56. Um, I just want to turn to one other passage that might shed light on this, this conundrum. Can we go to Mark chapter 8, verse 29 through 31? Mark chapter 8. And could someone read it when they get to it? Mark 8, 29 through 31. Okay, I, I actually realized that's the wrong. Um, I think it's Mark, Mark 10. Uh, sorry about that. It's, um, yes, Mark 10, uh, yes, Mark 10, verse 29 through 31. Could you read that again, Autumn? Sorry. Amen. So what do we see there from that passage about how singleness might be redeemed? It's used to glorify God. Yeah. Spreading of the gospel. Right? Yeah, yeah. It is a good thing regardless of whether you glorify him in singleness or marriage. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, so I think this actually goes back to the first thing you were saying, right? Where in in God's economy, in his kingdom, redeemed kingdom, under under the new covenant, you can actually have spiritual children, spiritual families. Um, so, yeah. Amen. 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 Oh, I, I thought you was a question. Uh, I, I think, uh, so what we see from Isaiah... To just kind of wrap this point up here. In Isaiah, we see that 
Singleness is redeemed because you actually just get God. The eunuch gets something better than sons and daughters. He gets God himself. And in Mark, we see you also don't just get God. You get God's family. Um, in, in another sense, I, I like to think about it this way. When God saves you, he doesn't just save you to himself. He saves you to his people. Um, so that's, that's, how this, that's how this conundrum, this Old Testament conundrum is worked out um, in the New Testament. So at this point, you might be asking, though, okay, practically, well, how do you know if you have the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage? Um, sometimes in our churches, we, we often ask this, frame this question as, how do you know if you're called to singleness or called to marriage, lowercase c? Well, here's a diagnostic question you should ask yourself. Are you married? And if you answer no to that question, that means you are called to singleness. Today, right now, you have the gift of singleness. And if you answered yes to that question, then today, right now, you have the gift of marriage. Notice that the text here, along with the rest of the Bible, doesn't give a category for dating at all. According to the Bible, you're either married or you're single. And both are gifts from God. And listen, whichever, you gift, whichever gift you have, this is the gift for you right now in this season. Out of everyone in the world, God knows you best. And he's intentionally catered this gift for you in this current season. Now, if you're single, God could certainly take away your gift of singleness and give you the gift of marriage. Could happen today. I mean, God, God is, God is uh, nothing is impossible for God, right? He also might not. And also for you married folks, God could also take away your gift of marriage at any point and give you the gift of singleness again. Job 1.21 says, The Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what's the point? <coughs> Married or single, the point is not which gift is better. I think we get caught up in this. One's better or one's, you know, we just spin our wheels thinking about it. The point isn't actually the gift. The point is the giver of the gift. You know, as I, as I got older, I've, I've seen that I, I've started to care less about the presents I get at Christmas and care more about the presence of the giver. I, I care more about the moment I can look at the giver, thank them, and cherish the fact that they knew me so well that they got me a perfectly catered gift. If you're a Christian, here's the glorious truth you should inscribe on your heart. You will always have not only the perfect gift for your place in life, but also the perfect presence of our ever-giving God. Think about that. This is, I think this is mind-blowing. Whether you're single or married, for the rest of your life, you will always have a gift. Always either singleness or marriage. You'll always have, a, one might be taken away, but another will get, be given right in his place. And more importantly, you'll always have him, God himself. There will be no lonely Christmases, no moment when the presence of God leaves you. Hallelujah, you're not alone. So before we move on, 
Uh, I, I think it's just, it's just helpful to pause to give two words of caution, specifically on the gift of marriage. Two words of caution, okay? First, just because someone burns with sexual passion does not mean they need to get married. Just because someone burns with sexual passion does not mean they need to get married. Verse 9 says they should marry, not they need to marry. Should marry, not need to marry. Marriage also belonging to God, like singleness, is a give, good gift that God gives to help. Marriage helps with self-control over sexual passion. That's because sex is, is designed exclusively and, and gloriously for marriage. But your sexual desire does not require you to get married. In fact, you, sh you probably shouldn't get married if the only reason is to control your sexual passion. In other words, to put it very bluntly, a Christian shouldn't seek marriage just because they want to have sex. I've heard several single people fall into this error or several couples even counseling single people. Oh, you have sexual passion? You should get married. You, you need to get married. And I, I just don't, I, I think there's, there's a little bit of error there, right? It, it doesn't, it's helpful but it's not a solution. And this, this leads to, our, to the second word of caution. Just because someone gets married does not mean that they won't ever struggle again with self-control over sexual sin. Just because someone gets married does not mean that they won't ever struggle again with, with self-control over sexual sin. Marriage is not a solution to sexual sin. And it's not just sexual sin, but also loneliness. Marriage is not a solution to your loneliness. Loneliness doesn't just evaporate with marriage. Sometimes I've, you know, I, I've just been in, a, um, I've talked to couples where it's actually worse to be lonely and married than to be single and lonely. Uh, Garrett has actually put it this way before. Spouses are wonderful helpers, but they are sorry saviors. So a word for all of us, fight for self-control now. Whether you're married or single, fight for contentment in Jesus now. Any questions or comments at this point before, before we move on to our, uh, to our reasons for singleness? Yeah. So what does 1 Corinthians 7, 9, 8 mean? 1 Corinthians 7, 9. Uh, could you expand on that? I think it's saying that if if you struggle with sexual sin, a helpful a helpful way to help you control uh, that 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 passion is is to get married. And you know, what's what's actually interesting is that later Paul actually also says maybe you shouldn't get married. So I think what, what he's basically saying is it, it, this calls for wisdom, right? Um, marriage is is a helpful you could um, a helpful you could say vehicle for for uh, controlling your passions.
All right, um, so to close out this second observation, singleness is a good gift, but it doesn't always feel like that. Good doesn't always mean easy. Uh, so I'll be really honest with you. I'm a single. I'm a single man. That's the gift God's given me currently in this season, and there are still a lot of lonely nights. Uh, many moments I wish I could have shared with someone, um, and often I I desire marriage too much. See, there's a dis- there's a disparity between the desire and the gift. How can singleness be a gift? Why has God given me the gift of singleness? Well, the reason why singleness can often feel so hard is because we don't understand the reason behind the gift. So here are just two glorious reasons God has for singleness. Two glorious reasons. First reason, contentment. Singleness is meant to grow contentment in Jesus. Read with me from verse 27. Verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What is the appointed time? Well, if you look down at verse 31, you get a clue. The present form of this world is passing away. The appointed time is when the world the present form of this world has completely passed away. It's when Jesus comes back. Okay, so why did the text jolt from talking about singleness to Jesus' return? Here's what the text is saying. Because Jesus is coming, because time is growing, not just short, but very short, because the world is passing away, be content where you are with what's been given to you. Marriage comes with worldly troubles, matching schedules, cooking for two, mismatches, cooking maybe not just for two sometimes, a lot like for seven at our church, um, mismatches and preferences. Uh, the marriage also comes with possibly these little sinners called, called kids, right? Um, it comes with, <laughs> and hey, these are glorious troubles, uh, glorious opportunities for sacrifice. But for the single Christian, in sparing them of these things, God has gifted them with singleness in order to lead them to be content in Jesus alone. And the driving force behind that contentment is hope. Hope that Jesus will return. See, singleness is actually just a background, a a place of preparation for future marriage. But not future marriage to just an earthly person. It might be but future marriage to Jesus, to Jesus. The Bible most clearly in Ephesians 5 and Revelations 21 likens our relationship to Jesus like a marriage. And the day Jesus comes back is portrayed as a wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, a final coming together. So singleness singleness should grow your heart in contentment because you know that one day Jesus will return for you. So I have these two married friends, uh, Ben and Brooke. They got engaged 2019, right before the pandemic, 
And right as soon as they got engaged, Ben got on a plane to go to the Middle East. He's in the army, uh, he got deployed. And he got deployed for a long time. COVID happened, he couldn't come back. Almost a year passed uh, before they were even able to see each other. So I mean, just can you feel the weight of that? Getting engaged, you know, the, the, you know, the explosive kind of excitement, and then immediately not being able to see each other. Basically until the wedding day. During that period, Brooke would have said that she knew Ben, loved him, but not fully, right? She wanted to, she would have said, I want to know him more. I want to love him more. I want to love him more fully. And that's why there's a longing for the wedding, right? How heartbreaking then would it have been for Ben to hear from Brooke? Hey, I love you, but I don't want you to come back yet. I, I want to pursue these other interests of mine. Uh, you know, I, I want to go on a few more dates with other guys. I won't marry them. I just, I just want to live it up a bit. It's just nonsensical, right? It, it's messed up. Instead, the promise of marriage produces contentment. Brooke was content where she was. She didn't look to other guys, other interests, because she was banking on the promise Ben made to her. We're going to get married. I'm coming back. In a similar way, Hope in Jesus' return should produce contentment. So what do you think about Jesus' return? He's surely coming back. Does his return make you want to pursue other interests first? Other lovers? Or does his return make you content where you are? Whether you're single or married, realize the good that your gift is doing for you right now. What these questions about Jesus' return are doing. They're, they're revealing potential idols in your heart, things you desire above Jesus. If you're single, if you're single in here, your singleness should be priming the pumps of your heart to be content in Him alone. And if you're married, your marriage should be pointing you to be content with where the Lord has placed you. So what do we do about this? Well, we get on our knees. We get on our knees and pray that God would cause our hearts to long for Jesus' return, plead that he would grow us in contentment. In one sense, everyone in here will be single for an eternity. Jesus says in Matthew 22 that there's no marriage in heaven. But in another sense, we will all be married for an eternity married to Jesus, always loved, always cherished, always adored. And that is an absolutely staggering promise. Second reason, my final point, devotion. If you haven't heard anything up to this point, pay attention. This is, this is, the, this is like where the, the real meat of the meal is. Singleness is meant to focus undivided devotion to Jesus. Read with me in verse 32. Verse 32. This is, uh, in a sense, uh, how Paul wraps up this, this discussion about singleness. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about th the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
And the married or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What word did you hear in that passage over and over again? Anxious, 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 right? Just even the word, right? It keeps coming up, makes, makes me a little anxious, right? Hearing it over and over again. Uh, notice the difference between those who are married and those who are single. The married are anxious about worldly things. The singles are worried, anxious about pleasing the Lord. This text's final word to singles is this. Secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're single in here, God has called you to be single right now because he wants your undivided attention. In other words, singleness creates an opportunity to be undivided in devotion to Jesus. Two years ago, there was a men's retreat here that um, I was finally able to go to. Usually in campus ministry, we usually have a retreat that like lines up right on that date and I'm never able to go. It's really sad, but two years ago it was COVID, so I was able to go. And I, I just remember driving back home and parking my car and feeling this, this overwhelming sense of loneliness in my singleness. I, I think in my head I was drawing up these caricatures of other men from the retreat going home to their wives. They get to go home and have someone ask them like, hey, how was your day? Um, how's the retreat? Um, they get to go home to kids. Um, here I am just going home to an empty house. Which, by the way, those are all like, like not true, right? That's not what mar marriage is not about. You're just getting asked like, hey, like it's not, it's not a self-glory show, right? Um, it's actually, you're, a lot of times, like if you're married, you, you go home and you ask the other person, how was your day, right? And try to care for them, despite how you feel. But anyway, I was, I was in this car feeling this way. And, and what I started, there was this shift. And I started praying. And I was like, God, I'm really feeling very alone right now. I know that's not true. I know you're here. I know you're really near. And also, I know Jesus is coming back soon. Um, can you help me? Help me to need you. Help me to, to see you in this moment right now. Help me to, to actually lean in into the loneliness and, and to find you there. I think loneliness and is, is often, it's kind of like hunger, right? It's a, it's, it can be a good thing. It, it helps you to realize that you need food, right? Um, and also, uh, you know, I, I've always thought about this. I think it's amazing that in the garden, pre-fall, God thought it was better for Adam to not be alone, but to have someone. There's, there's something there about this loneliness. Might not, it might, it's a hard thing, right? But it, it's, it points us to, to, it reveals our need for Jesus, right? 
Um, and it, it, it shows us that he's the only one who can fill the God-sized hole in our hearts. So how do we secure undivided devotion? How do we do it? The Christian term here is stewardship. The gift of singleness is meant to be stewarded, used so that you might grow to love Jesus more. And stewardship is intentional. It's intentional. If you're single in here, not being intentional about your singleness, not regarding it rightly, might mean you're not really stewarding your gift well. So to conclude, I'm going to give just three brief ways a Christian should steward singleness. One way, first way, devote yourself to the presence of God. All of these will start with devote and we'll start with a P. <laughs> uh, we go to a Baptist church, right? Um, devote yourself to the presence of God. You'll love Jesus more when you know him more. So read about him in his word, commune with him in prayer, bring your burdens to him. In your moments of loneliness, actually go to the Bible, speak to him, hear from him. Um, so that's one. Two, devote yourself to the people of God, to the people of God. Just because you're single doesn't mean you don't have family. Love the family of God. Uh, brothers, especially listen up here if you're single, your brother in here don't miss out on this opportunity the opportunity to see women you might have once only saw as dating prospects at a certain point of your life to become glorious sisters made in the image of god um and sisters i know some of y'all have some really hewn histories pain painful past in your relationships with men but hear this promise the gospel offers you not only a tender and loving father but it offers you redeemed brothers, men transformed from maybe once in their lives chasing after lust to now chasing after God's own heart. So make an effort to love the people in your community groups, in, in your pew, just on a Sunday, in, in your neighborhood. Uh, single men and women, give your time to love one another well, get to know families and married men and women uh, please don't treat singles as just free labor for babysitting. <laughs> um, invite them to your homes. And, you know, I, 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 we're happy to, I'm happy to babysit. I, I probably should do more of it, actually. Um, but, yeah, invite them to your homes. Invite them into the mess. That's, I feel like that's a, that's a Del Rey saying. Uh, discipleship here is inviting people into the mess. So it's okay if you don't have the crock pot going and the, the table lined up. You can, your house can be incredibly messy and that's all right. Like single people, like it's not, they, they're not there to judge. They're just there to love you and to be loved. Um, so that's what we're here for at Delray. And, and lastly, third application, devote yourself to the promise of God. What promise specifically? Well, Psalm 37, four says this, delight yourself in the Lord and here's the promise he will give you the desires of your heart delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart run hard after jesus for those who are single in here maybe one day you'll look around after running hard after jesus and see someone running next to you and maybe he'll give you that helper uh the gift of marriage or maybe not 
But here's the sure promise. If you run hard after Jesus at the end of the line, you'll get all of your heart's desire, delight, and devotion. You'll get him. You'll get him. So let me just pray for us, and then I'll stick around uh, for some, some questions, comments. Father, Father, thank you so much for the promise that one day we will see our, our beloved, our, our Jesus, face to face. Um, yeah, that there, there will be no, no more loneliness, no more tears, um, no more being anxious, <laughs> um, no more discontentment. No more half-heartedness, no more sin. Um, oh Jesus, would you come soon? Uh, please come soon. And until then, uh, Father, please, uh, please give us all in here um, more and more belief, more devotion to you. Um, God, help us to be content where we are with the gift that you've given us right now, whether that's being married or being single. God, help us to, for the, those of us who are married in here, help us to, to, to see our, our wives or our husbands more beautifully, more as a gift today. Um, yeah, and, and our kids too, to, to see them more as a gift um, from you. And God, if we're, for those of us who are single in here, help us to, help us to see that this is actually a good gift. Um, that we actually have an opportunity to, um, to secure our undivided devotion to you. Father, um, for all of us, Lord, help us to, um, to delight in you always, um, especially on this Resurrection Sunday. Um, God, Jesus is not dead. He's alive right now. Um, and he's interceding even for us right now. Um, yeah, God, the, the gospel doesn't just end in at the tomb, uh, at the empty tomb. It, um, he's actually seated. Jesus is on his throne right now and um, right next to you. So, Lord, uh, help us in all these ways. Um, help us to love you, love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.